Welcome to the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast, a show designed for brand new sales reps working in the world of tech sales. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, and I'm going to be taking you on a journey on the SDR Disco Call vidcast and podcast. Did you know that you can watch this show live with the guests on YouTube? This show is available on YouTube at happyselling.io. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another chapter of the SDR Disco Call Show. If this is your first time joining us, this show is all about helping brand new sales development reps working in the world of tech sales by speaking to existing SDRs that are still new in the role or experienced vets like we have this guest today to get insights to help you out in your career and navigate the best path to become a happy seller. My name is Neil Buyan and I'm your host on this journey. So in this episode today, I've got somebody that I've been waiting a very long time to bring up on this show. And this is somebody that I've known socially for a number of years. We never really had the chance to meet face to face yet. Yet. But this person has been, what I can say, a really great fan, supporter, and somebody that really like keeps me on my toes and, you know, checks in every now and then. And I had the privilege of coming on this guy's podcast, which I'm going to mention shortly soon. But guess, could you introduce who are you? My name is Derek Williams. Derek Williams, welcome to the SDR Disco Call Show. Could you tell our listeners, like Derek, where are you based in the world? Uh, what do you do? And who or what is the company you work for? And what do they do, sir? Well, in that order, I am based in Northern California, about two hours east of San Francisco, in a small town called Turlock. What I do is I help uh, early stage startups to implement or manage their sales development function. My company is called 3Link Consulting. Thank you very much for the introduction. And as a gentle reminder for our listeners and watchers, if you can make sure that you please like, comment, and subscribe in your local podcast platform, as well as on our YouTube channel. And with all of our guests, you'll be able to get their LinkedIn profile in the show notes if you'd like to connect with them and pick their brain. But Derek, uh, from from the other side of the world, because we're in different time zones right now, <laughs> what do you like to get up to outside of sales, Derek? Outside of sales, well, I try to stay consistent in the gym. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of a gym rat that way. Uh, but nice. you know, I like to go with my wife. We like to work out together. It's kind of a, it's kind of our date time or couple time, if you will. Oh. Um, so yeah, we we like to spend some time in the gym. We're not doing that. We like to have a good time, uh, travel, spend time. I have a, a six year old now, um, yeah. granddaughter. So uh, I like to spend time with her whenever possible. I have three daughters. Uh, obviously, they're all adults, so it's hard to get time with them. But yeah, that's that's kind of my life. I love that, and I highly recommend, ladies and gents. I'm also going to be putting Derek's Instagram uh, into the show notes because I love watching his stories of training, being with his family, building his business, and been. It's probably about what five or six years we've been following each other on the yep. old Insta fam, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've seen this man way back, way back indeed. Uh, but Derek, what we like to do at this point of the show is go visit your LinkedIn profile to kind of see like where has this gentleman come from and kind of what has he experienced in his life of sales? Because you've had a pretty phenomenal career from my standpoint. So the other thing that I also wanted to mention is Derek runs his own podcast called the Sales Consultant Podcast. I'll put links into that as well. Mm -hmm. Also to our episode that we recorded a few weeks back, which was super cool. And I'm Fire. grateful. Fire. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
But sir, you've like, you know, you've you've been around the block uh, for quite a while. Like you've had a lot of great experience. So, you know, you've been an account executive. You've worked as a manager in mid-market sales. You've worked for like big courts such as Dell. You've entered the world of sales development. You've worked at some really cool companies, uh, especially one that I noted that I was very familiar with, which is Tenbound. Mm-hmm. You recently launched your own podcast, which I'm very happy to see. Uh, and obviously you're working at 3Link Consulting, your business. So Derek, just for our listeners and watchers, could you tell us like, uh, how did it? How did you kind of get into sales and kind of what's your journey been up until now? Well, as you might imagine, I started, uh, I was a father real early, so I had to get to work and uh, mm-hmm. I skipped college and went straight to the pros. I was uh, in retail sales when I was uh-huh. uh, late teens. And uh, when I was 18, I got a phone call from a friend whose sister ran an inside sales team. Uh, I lived in the Silicon Valley at the time, so mm. tech was really hot. This was a tech company, and they needed some inside sales reps. So it was full cycle, uh, mainly uh, supporting outside sales with quote generation, customer sat, things of that service. So it was kind of like an SDR, but uh, before the term existed. Uh, so this is 1998, and that's kind of how I got into B2B sales was I just got a random phone call from someone who knew I was in retail sales asking if I'd want to go and work in inside sales for their sister, go to the interview. I did. And, um, you know, that's how I got into inside sales my first time. And so that's ever since then kind of what I've focused on doing is, is selling. Now, my dad was a salesperson too. So I kind of grew mm-hmm. up around that. He was very charismatic. And I think I kind of always knew, in, you know, in school, I was a badass, always arguing with the teachers. And they said, he's either going to be a lawyer or a salesperson, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I, I kind of had that aptitude real early in life. I was a ham, loved the attention, loved presenting and <laughs> all that shit. So, yeah, um, yeah that's kind of how I got into it. Um, but, you know, it's uh, how I turned it into, you know, a, a practice and a, a lifelong career is a whole nother story. I love that. And something we definitely want to dive in today, but like kind of unpacking, and I've learned this from you in in, in interviews I've seen like you, where you unpack, I love that. Um so the thing that I heard earlier on, so I was somebody that when I got into kind of tech sales, it was like a, about three or four years later, I then became a father. But for yourself, you said you became a dad pretty early on and you realized, you know, you needed to get into work and kind of do that. What was that journey and mindset like? Because I can assume there are a lot of people that listen to the show that may be just becoming parents or thinking about going into parenthood mm-hmm. and coming into what may potentially be a very risky business where it's, you know, performance based, it's numbers, it's high pressured. Right. What was going through your mind at that point, sir? It's a good question. Well, you know, when your back's against the wall, you don't really see a lot of options. And so you do what it takes, I guess. Um, You know, I've always been hardworking, uh, entrepreneurial, if you will. You know, Mm. dad brought home a lawnmower, a motorized lawnmower for the first time when I was like 12. And I started mowing the neighbor's lawns to make money. Um, So I think getting, you know, getting in, taking on a sales career as an early, a parent early in life is, you know, an interesting dynamic because you can't really talk about that without talking about your your support system. Because the only reason I was really able to go hard, if you will, in my sales career, because it takes early mornings, late nights, studying on the weekend, you got to master the craft, you got to learn the lingo and all these things. And I think the only reason I was really able to do that is because I had a good support system around me. Um, And Mm. I think that's kind of where it starts. And then you have that fire under you where you you have to succeed. So I think that's the pressure that you're probably referring to is that, 
and that's why sales worked well for me. I think if I would have been in a in a, a role where I was stifled, then I would have struggled because I was so motivated by having a, a child at home at 18. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. I need to provide and I, I'm li you live with my in-laws and all this shit. Like I need to <laughs> do something with my life, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that was very compelling for sure. I think that, I, I think that was sort of a comp uh, competitive advantage I had amongst other people in business. Cause obviously I didn't look like anyone. I was y younger than everyone. I wasn't as educated as everyone, but mm -hmm. I had, three times the motivation that, that they did. So I think using that as motivation is the advice I would give to someone who's going into sales and has a, a child on the way or a young child at home and, you know, use it. That's, that's your, that's your motivation. You know, I, I didn't watch sports as much anymore. I, I went all in. I knew that this career could provide a lifestyle and, um, I kind of, I don't know if you, this, the term sold out is the right way to say it, but that's good. I just, <laughs> I went all in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, um, I think pre fatherhood, like the, I was speaking about this earlier today on a webinar around, you know, motivation and stuff like that. Initially when I first came into sales, Derek, and I don't know about you, money was a big motive motivator. Like I wanted to make money. I wanted to have a better lifestyle as you put it. Right. But it wasn't until I became a father that I realized it's what I could do with that money rather than just earning the, the nice commission check, right? So if I was able to earn more, I was able to potentially look for a house, be able to like provide clothing, like be able to go away on trips and stuff like that and, you know, afford to take time off because I was earning more as well. But I was wondering, do you find that with motivation, you need to kind of figure out your why? as to why you're doing it in order to get motivated or what advice well, that was easy for me that's what i'm saying yeah. like for me yeah. the why was i there was no question what my why was i had mouths to feed a roof to keep over someone's head i needed to move accelerate our life and like the, the things you're talking about not not even get to the point where you could take trips like we need we had one car you know the the, the spouse needed a car the, mm. the kid we were living with in-laws uh you know, it was like not the prettiest of circumstances. Uh, you know, you're young kids starting early in life, and so my why for me was real simple. I have a young daughter. That's my why. My so yeah. I, I that to me was it was simple. And I think that's why I mean by it being an advantage because not everyone gets that early in life, right? Yeah. Uh, you're tr you're trying to figure things out, and it was figured out for me. Like I had it was obviously I contributed to the process, but <laughs> you know. When that happens, you don't, you know, there are no other, that is your why, that is your motivation. And it's also not your burden, but your advantage. So I, I don't know, I, I think I'm going in circles a little bit about it, but that for me was um, how I leaned into it. Oh, I love that. I love that. And to kind of like um, wrap up on this topic before we move on with the rest of your journey. So obviously with some of our listeners, they may not be at that parenthood stage or they yeah. may not be having that. If you're having like a, a young sales development rep or somebody who's coming into sales and they're trying to say like, Derek, yeah, money is one thing, but I'm trying to figure out that why or that motivation. What sort of advice would you give that person? Uh, well, I'd tell them to be patient, honestly. Um, don't rush the process. Sometimes you figure out your why along the mission, along the journey. You know, mm -hmm. the why isn't always something that uh, is emerges early. And if you force it, I think, you may land on the wrong why um, for, for, but that's the, that's what comes to mind for me. I think that's the advice I would give someone is if they were trying to understand that deeper sense of motivation, um, I would let them curate on it and 
think about it, take your time and you know, be around the ones that you love, do the things you love to do. And I think organically, that's where your why emerges if you're struggling to, to um, find what it is. Totally agree. And I think it's, uh, it's right to say that your why can always change these goals. And these motivators can change throughout your course and career. So like I'm saying, yeah, you know, I mean, my, I love my daughters. They're my, I have three now. Um, yeah. and you know, they'll always be my why, but when you have another generation that comes in behind that, it's a new level of why when you're, when mm. you see your granddaughter pop out and you're holding her in your hands and you're like, Gee. shit, like they're banking on me now, not just mm. my kids, but my kids kids and their husbands and it's another level of why for sure but um yeah your why's can definitely change i would agree with that it doesn't always and look our why's aren't always family centric too your why mm. can be uh helping the world right your why can be something outside of family and personal interests it could be more selfless right it could be having impact and i respect that 100% that just happens to be what my whys uh, come back to. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's it's important to, you know, be understanding and finding your why throughout this journey. And to, you know, it's different for everyone. Like everyone's motivated by different things. Earlier on, I wasn't as motivated by money. I was just motivated by doing something that none of my friends were doing and none of my family could even fathom doing. Um, and then I saw the the earning potential. Like, oh, I could earn some more cash. Cool. I can buy some <laughs> nice cool gums. I can, you know, buy a car. And then when I had my kid, I was like, right. And when I was asked, am I ready to be a dad? I was like, well, I'm not, not ready, but I can't afford it. And I can, you know, support him. So, you know, why do change definitely. But another bit that, so like moving forward, like with your journey, there was an interesting piece that I loved where you said, you know, you saw Silicon Valley, you had this opportunity for an inside sales rep. Now for me, Silicon Valley wasn't a reality or I didn't know anything about it until 2012, 2013, until I started tech sales, until I was flown out to California and realized, wow, this is what tech and Silicon Valley is. And yeah, there's, Facebook, there's Apple, there's, yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, ha I had no insight onto this. And I think with some of the, the, the reps that I work with today, you know, they've just come into tech and they've just come into SaaS. Right. Um, and some of them may not be aware of this Silicon Valley vibe and, you know, except for the recent news about Silicon Valley banking. So, and that's maybe the first time they've heard it. But what did Silicon Valley mean to somebody that was based out in the US that was kind of living and breathing in that space at that time? What was Silicon Valley like for you? Uh, I think you kind of knew that you were in the bubble. Um, you know, it's it's not like anywhere else in the world that I've been where you you know, you're driving around your neighborhood effectively and you're seeing these mammoth organizations, Sony, um, Cisco Systems, mm. these companies, there's some that I think about that were in my neighborhood, in my backyard. Literally, I the, the Sony building had a um, basketball court in its parking lot, right? <laughs> you know, it's like an employee perk thing, but it was like an yeah. open basket. So, that's where I would play ball at. I didn't go to the like a school. I played mm -hmm. in the parking lot at a uh, the Sony building's not there anymore. It's be, but Cisco Systems is in that whole neighborhood. Zanker and Tasman. Anybody who's listening who's from the Silicon Valley, San Jose area knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But that's that's what it was to me. Like you were immersed in this bubble of technology. It was all around you. You saw it. You couldn't not see it, and you knew it was different. And you saw people getting rich 
effectively. Uh, you know, the, the joke is you saw the janitors becoming millionaires because of these yeah. IPOs left and right around you. And so when you grow up in Silicon Valley, you get enamored by the idea of joining startups and uh, having an exit and having that balloon equity payment at some point. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think, and you learn about this early. I mean, you're in high school thinking and talking about this shit because your parents did it or something. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's what it meant was that you, you knew you were in a special place. Now, Silicon Valley, it's, you know, it's spread, if you will. You know, Austin has its Silicon Valley, Boston has its Silicon mm. Valley, you know, and what it means effectively is that you have these emerging technology companies combined with, uh, a lot of venture capital that is in the same neighboring area. So in Palo Alto, for instance, which is about 30 minutes up the road from Silicon Valley, San Jose, Santa, Santa Clara area, uh, you have like the mecca of venture capital. And, you know, Andreessen Andres and Horwitz is a big name that some might yep. know of that they're based out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, you had the combination of a lot of venture capital and a lot of startups. And so then you have people from around the world who embark onto this area to start their business. Cause yeah, I mean, literally the Apple campus, the new Apple campus that looks like a big donut now that you, or a spaceship they, they call it. Mm. I mean, it's almost next door to where, you know, uh, our, our hospital was, we, we, we yeah. would a Kaiser and around the corner was Apple. I mean, it, so again, it's, it's motivating for me. It was always super inspiring driving around, being on my school bus as a kid or driving around with my parents or when I was an adult driving around that area, you know, you're in that rat race as they call it. It really feels yeah. that way. So yeah, I think it was, it was inspiring. Um, it felt a lot of pressure because of it, because you knew there were a lot of people succeeding around you in these, in these environments. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to me. I always wanted to make the most of it. I love that. And, you know, I, I can I definitely relate. Like, I remember flying over to, to California for the first time and, you know, driving on El Camino driveway, yeah, on, like, yeah. on freeway. Yeah. That used to be the one-on-one. It'd be like the major yeah, yeah. freeway back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, when I first got off the plane, I went onto the 101. Uh, I had a Hertz car that I hired, and I remember getting into the car and pulling off onto the freeway and thinking, shit, I've never driven. On this side of the car. <laughs> yeah, and seeing six lanes in the freeway, which is, like, much bigger than what we have back here in the UK, I was like, oh, my God. I was stuck on the 101 for two hours because I didn't know how to come off the freeway. Oh, wow. I was so scared, and I remember thinking, like okay i've got a new job i'm gonna die today <laughs> i welcome uh, the galley <laughs> yeah and and i remember like going into the office the next day and telling the other sdrs and they all laughed at me and they're just like well you know like kudos for actually making it and coming into your job would be a bummer if you didn't make it on your first day right yeah, and i was like yeah 100 percent. but you know going around uh san jose and then like i remember like my friends driving me around and took me like to menlo park and said that's the facebook offices there's a google campus and i was like wow i was starstruck because exactly. again none of this sort of vibe existed in the uk like for for the listeners and watchers that know like pretty much back then tech or corporate companies such as you know um microsoft's of the world or you know the dells of the world they lived like far off where we call reading which is really far up from london it's not in central london it's kind of out there in the sticks a little bit but we never had this vibe of a Silicon Valley sort of thing. So I remember coming back to the UK and thinking like, wow, we're really behind, you know. But then later in years, we in London, we had what we call the Silicon Roundabout. So in central London, there was a lot of new tech startups that were joining and it was known. And then going out to Belgium, they've got their own Silicon Valley 
area right, as well. Right, right. But I would say that, you know, the US, you kind of really set a precedent as to what tech companies were about and you had the DNA of it. And you're right, there was a lot of, a lot of my peers had worked in other tech companies and this was a normal thing for them. And I was just like, nobody knows about this stuff in the UK, you know? So I felt really like lucky to come out there. But for yourself, like, you know, you worked at some corporate companies like Verizon and Dell, and then you obviously went into startup land. Tell us a little bit, like, in a few minutes, like, what was it like working in tech? And then talk about that transition into the startup space. Well, big tech and little tech are uh, a lot different. That's, that's, I mean, it's enterprise, hamster wheel, glass ceilings uh, with mm. the big companies. And then, um, you know, a lot of hats and networking and skill building in startups and a lot of, you know, early mornings and late nights. Mm. Um, and quick note, don't join a startup looking for uh, work-life balance for those that are joining startups. That's not mm. how it works. Uh, I want to come back to that point in a minute, but please go on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I appreciate my big tech time because... You know, by the way, I came to Dell by way of acquisition. So I was with a smaller company that was uh, relatively a small company, but had been around for quite some time. And then it was acquired by Dell. And during a time of Dell was acquiring a bunch of companies, I think in two years, they acquired like 20 some odd companies. Um, but you get a lot of, a lot of training, which is really good. You know, mm -hmm. you get a lot of professional level training and guidance. Um, you get to be part of you know, these group, large groups of people, right? You, you build a very vast network of, of connections. I mean, I liked working with big tech organizations for sure. But, you know, in, in a small organization, if you're built for it in terms of the pace, you just, you learn a lot more, a lot faster. And, uh, you know, you just, I think you have a lot more fun if you're able, if you're up for that pace. A, a large organization, you have a very specific role. It, you know, it's not so spread, right? You mm -hmm. have different people who do all these different things. So you think about like sales operations, it's like a hundred people, you know, yeah. just for one product, just for one region. And it, so it's very built out. And when you go into a startup, what I loved is that I get to be sales operations. I get to be the sales manager and trainer. You know, I do onboarding. I don't have to send them off to someone else to do onboarding. I get, mm. and that's the advantage of kind of being in a large organization sometimes is you get to see what good looks like. You see it operationalized at scale. And then that's what I think brings an impact to smaller organizations is now we can help kind of grow to that uh, because mm. we've seen what it looks like. And that's what I was able to do. And, I, I, and so I appreciated that journey. Um, yeah, so I'd always, I had been with small companies. The company I mentioned with, you know, my first one, it was a small organization. Most of them were SMBs, uh, even mom and pops selling. And yeah, then getting on with uh, Verizon in 2005, 2006, that was a big, a big change. Uh, before that, Language Line was a mid-sized company. It was not so big, but yeah, it's a it's a complete night and day perspective, right? Some people are far better in a larger organization, right? Yeah. And I think that, and that's my point is if you're thinking about getting into tech and getting into a startup, you know, as an SDR, as an example, mm. I hear this a lot and they're in other fields like retail, real estate, or you, know, you name it, restaurant hospitality. Yeah. And they're looking for some sort of balance because they're working crazy shifts and schedules. And they feel like if I join a startup and work full time, 
I'll work Monday through Friday and I'll have this fluffy gig where I'm making a lot of money. Yeah, I got a mm. cold call and do this stuff, but I'll have more balance. And that just goes against everything that startup stands for, right? When you think about a startup, you should think about that band of brothers in the garage building out Microsoft, right? Mm. Building Google. That's mm. what startup life is like, where it's everybody weighing in, doing what it takes and working the extra mile to get this thing where it needs to be. Having 50% growth expectations, it, it, you know, once you've taken on some venture capital, those expectations are real. It's not fun anymore, you know? And mm -hmm. you don't have that level of pressure a lot of times in a big organization, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you do. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I was a manager and I had to manage to that accountability and that some of that pressure at times. But I can tell you, like, it's... Um, a lot, a lot more high pressure, I would say, in a startup when you're trying to grow at the scale that they are. So, you know, enjoy that though. And, and some people would thrive in that type of environment. It's exciting to them. So that you're that that that's a perfect fit. But if you're trying to coast, you know, it's it's not going to probably be a fit in most startups that are trying to grow fast. I agree. Like, it, it's funny that we're having this conversation because. I was coaching an SDR the other day and I'm helping that person in terms of finding a new role within tech. And in the first call we kind of had, I just said like, what are your career aspirations? Where do you want to be getting to? And this person said to me, they would like to work for a company like Oracle. And I paused for a minute and I was just like, okay. And this person had no like um, tech experience prior. They've had a little bit of sales experience, but they really aspire to go work for a big dog like Oracle. And I was just like, I paused in the session. I was like, really? And I was just like, tell me more, like, what is it about Oracle versus, you know, working in a startup? And that person said, you know, they're still fairly new to this idea of working in sales and, you know, joining a company. But the reason being is a couple of their friends work in Oracle. They have good high paying jobs. You know, they love the professionalism. He was talking about, you know, they have this great onboarding and training program, which is like world class. Yeah. Um, and he wants security. You know, for the long run, because we've gone through a recession, we've come out of a pandemic, he wants something a bit more stable. And a part of me irked a little bit because I was just like, but you just don't know the thrill and the ride of a startup, dude. Well, and then don't think that big companies, just because big companies have money doesn't mean your position is stable. They they lay off in droves. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen it with big tech giants where right. they've laid, laid off like 10,000 people like in, in one swoop. But I had to kind of open my mind up for a little bit and just, you know, figure out does this person really know where they're going to or do they just want a bit of perspective, right? So I kind of walked them down the road of, okay, I can completely agree with you. You know, they are world-class. They have great training organizations and programs. And I've worked with a lot of people that have come from these companies and then gone into startups to help build those out, right? Right. But then I flipped on the other side. I said, with a startup, you know, there is not as much red tape. Um, you know, there's a lot of room. Uh, for you to grow in different directions, going to different departments. And, you know, like you said, wear multiple hats. And I said, but it really boils down to you as the individual as to what's going to bring you that energy. If you like, um, you know, a rigid schedule, you want to define product, you like to be where you are. And I didn't say in so many ways like coast, because sometimes I see it as a place to go retire because, you know, you've got a set job, you've got a nice salary, et cetera. But I just said to him, like, what is going to bring you the most energy? And when I kind of gave the pitch of startups, that person then asked, what startups would you recommend? So I walked through a couple of companies and I said, look, when I have been job hunting or I've job hunted at SDR, I 
qualify or research those companies if I'm prospecting for them. Mm -hmm. So I go find out who they are, what's their story, what is their product, what's the founder's journey, how did they get funding, what's their tech stack like, all the stuff I would do. And it would help me evaluate companies that I would like to go to. So I kind of set a task upon this person is to go find out about Oracle, speak to the people and what's the day-to-day like, but equally go find out from these startups, what does it feel like to work in there? And most of the feedback to your point is you tend to move much faster and you learn a hell of a lot more in a startup than you would perhaps say within a corporate company. And again, it's different for everyone depending on what you want, but luckily that person then saw the light and they went down that route. But if someone came to you, Derek, saying, Derek, I'm trying to figure out whether to go into corporate sales or I'm looking to go into startup sales, what advice would you give that person to help you know, make that decision or choice? Uh, probably ask them, how do you want to learn? Do you want to learn in a structured manner? Because obviously this is about learning. You're going into mm. a new venture. You need to learn. You know, how do you want to make, how do you want to develop your skills and learn? Do you want to do it through like a structured program where you have the guides, training departments, sales enablement departments, you know, multi-levels of managers, right? You have a team around you, organization around you who will help instill those uh, skills and what not over time, or do you want to go and learn hands-on and mm. uh, learn at a rapid pace by figuring things out? That's I, I would propose it to that way because that's that's the difference. You know, in the startup, you're having to figure it out. Your new tech, uh, new process, you name it, right? New products that are being launched, all this stuff you're kind of figuring it out while you fly. Do you learn best that way? Is that your place where you're most comfortable and where you feel like you could thrive and be fulfilled? Um, or do you feel like something that is more structured? And it's, and neither one is better than the other. It's about what's best for the person. At the time that I went into these large organizations, I think that's really what I needed at that time was yeah. I needed that level of structure for me to develop the skills that I needed and get the acumen that I have now in those areas so that I could make a better impact later. So it's just really what is best for the person and how they learn and where they're most comfortable. I love that. And, you know, ultimately as advisors or, you know, consultants, we can't make decisions for people. They have to make that choice. But I think the takeaway that I kind of gave to this person is, well, look, if you do go that corporate life, go for it. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, there is always another opportunity to go into a startup if need be, you know. And remember, so, just as a quick note on that, that it's not one or the other sometimes because a lot of big companies on the surface, yes, it's a big company, 100,000 employees, but they have multiple business units. And a lot of times it's a startup within a large organization and you just don't see it from the outside. It's a new business line. And so they have, they, they've acquired maybe a smaller company that they've been brought into the business and now they're trying to you know, rapidly bring it to market, you know, new markets. And they are building out a whole new part of their business around that. I heard in a McKinsey podcast yesterday that one of the top priorities for CEOs, eight out of 10 CEOs, one of their number one priorities are new businesses, not new mm -hmm. business. We, we think about new business, new logos and things like yeah, that. But yeah, yeah. as a CEO is taking your brand, your company and creating new businesses. And that's what... I'm kind of talking about is you have these large entities that have multiple business lines. And so um, sometimes you can get 
you know, both in a large organization. You can actually get a startup feel and vibe for this new line, this new business unit that's uh, coming on and me, whether it's being built out organically or if it's being uh, built out by acquisition, either way, it's typically this really um, accelerated path and a lot of excitement and jazz around it because it's the new thing. So it can have a startup vibe within a large company. You're very right. And you know, I hadn't thought about that for a while. You're right, because a lot of these big companies acquire smaller startups and products into their own portfolio. And we've seen that with the likes of Oracle, Salesforce, etc. They, they've done it millions of times. And Mark Benioff's a very happy man. Um, but, <laughs> so coming on to the next point, because I think uh, your, your, your journey and your experience is going to be very key for a lot of our listeners, because I coach a lot of SDRs where I ask them the question of, you know, you're an SDR today in 12 months or, you know, a couple of years from now, like, where do you see yourself? And some would say an account executive. But most recently, I'm hearing more of from my SDRs is they'd like to enter leadership, mm -hmm. such as an SDR manager or a director of sales one day, because they're the first person on the ground now. And they envision 15 people uh, reporting to them in the years to come. For you, what is what is it about that? Let me take a step back. How come you decided to go into sales leadership and what does sales leadership mean to you, Derek? Uh, hmm. uh, I think that's a really good question. There's a lot of different things here. So I had, I felt a calling to be in leadership early in life. So I think that is, is part of it. I, I knew early on in my career, once I got into sales that I wanted to be a sales leader. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that just, again, it stems from my fabric of who I am in life and who, how I came up and my influences was, you know, leadership was a big focal point of growing up. So I think there was a natural tendency there and not everybody necessarily has that natural tendency. They might think of leadership as more money. Mm. And for me, it was more impact. Um, it wasn't about money. It was more about, I get satisfaction, fulfillment, literally from helping people figure things out and helping people crack the code and seeing them do cool things with the information that I help them with in any capacity, whatever that looks like, you know, I mean, it's probably why I'm, I'm always lecturing my daughters and stuff. I'm just always, <laughs> you know, trying to instill that in someone. Yeah. But I think that, that set off early. And I think that stemmed from being really passionate about cells and then people around me seeing like, well, how are you figuring this thing out? Because again, I wasn't like everyone else. I wasn't educated like them. I wasn't as old as them. I didn't look like them. And they were mm -hmm. seeing me have this success and they're like, well, how do you, what are you doing? And I think embarking that knowledge and that experience and helping people was, was a piece of it. So I think that's good. Um, that's, that's kind of what, so for me also, I had some shitty managers and I had some really good managers and there are really good managers. You know, you, you hear the stories a lot about that teacher who made an influence in your life. Well, for me, I had a couple managers early in my career, Mark Whitcomb, Guaranteed Express um, is, is one who comes to mind, that were just great human beings and they brought the best out of me and they helped me change my life around. Again, going back to the holistic picture of things. And I wanted to have that kind of impact on some, that coach-like impact on people, right? And so that's really, you know, I like being good at sales and I like that whole, I like the love the game. But I love more is to just see people succeed and being part of what helped get them there. 
if that makes mm. sense. If that's it may, it may be self-serving. I mean, it, it, might, it might be, uh, but I, I I get my rocks off on seeing people win on the advice I gave them. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh. Yeah, no, no, no need to be sorry. I, I can totally relate. I love seeing people win from the advice and information you get. And they will always come back to say, oh, thank you, Derek, or thank you, Neil, so much. And I'm just like, I did nothing. Like, you're the one that yeah, executed. Exactly. I'm just happy that you listened, right? Mm -hmm. but it's, I'm glad you got the outcome at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, oh. 100%. And I think it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a stark difference for me because um, I feel that I was forced into leadership because I just wanted to become an AE. And my manager was like, no... Not right now, Neil. I think you really do well in uh, like a manager position. Yeah, the thing though is my career from, I think my career is much different than most SDR managers. You know, I had already been a full cycle rep. I had already managed full cycle reps, um, inside reps, outside reps, and had a remote team. And so I, I came into sales development management with kind of in like a reverse order, if you will. Mm. And so I think that, is one thing that kind of sets me apart in that realm. But I would say this, the SDR that wants to get into SDR leadership, but hasn't sold full cycle, it's doable. You you can be a manager and you can be really good at top of funnel, but it's gonna be really hard to bridge the gap, which is a part of this job as an SDR leader is the, the, the cross-functional component, specifically with mm. sales. And as a SDR manager, you are the team's representative within those sales meetings, within those sales, those QBRs and or what whatnot, they're inserting you typically into that environment as that representative. And if you can't relate to your sales audience, your customer effectively, yep. then it's gonna be really hard for you to have credibility on that side of the aisle. So I would really recommend someone, if they have the option, go the AE route, learn to close, mm -hmm. carry a, a revenue quota, gain that true appreciation, maybe even have an SDR who supports you, who you can mentor and kind of practice that management skill set a little bit on That's a small point. scale, yeah. and then see if you're ready to, to manage. Man managing people is nothing like selling. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it, it's great that you know the, the, the craft, but leading people is a whole nother realm. Their problems become your problems. You're not managing clones. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of dynamics that someone has to learn in order to manage people effectively. And, um, you know, so I would recommend that definitely, uh, get the full, the full window painted before you start leading people on how to grow. Cause that's one of your jobs is how are you going to take an SDR to be an AE if you've never been an AE? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent agree. And I think, you know, reflecting back where where I had a team and I expected them to be clones of me because I knew how to do it and I knew how to prospect, I knew how to generate, I knew how to do this. And I was like, look, I'll show you the way. And they weren't doing it because I remember, well, I came to the realization that everybody is built different. Everybody's motivated different. Right. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. And to your point where you had good managers and bad managers, you have to be able to get the best out of that person, even when they don't see it themselves um, and help them, you know, believe in themselves to move forward. And I think, you know, looking back I was always afraid to be a leader because well two points firstly I wouldn't want to put my neck on the line based on other people's performance on my paycheck that's what scared me initially right getting through things done through other people exactly yeah exactly where you feel that you could just you know do it on your own and then secondly was being put in the spotlight um, and being deemed a leader it made me feel really uncomfortable because I just felt like hey I want to work with everyone on the same side as me like I want us to move together forward 
But then there have been moments in my career where I'm like, I've had to step up as a leader. So, you know, batting for somebody that could be on the firing line or motivating that person to see the best in themselves or helping that person get that promotion and selling it to the go-to-market team as to we should really promote this person because I think they're now ready to move forward. And those are the leadership experiences I've come through and I've learned. And you know what? Hands up. I've made big mistakes in my time, but I've also learned from them. Uh, and I've been that bad manager. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> exactly. But it's, you know, constantly asking your reps for the feedback of how could I be a better manager or how could yeah. I, you know, help more out more. Yeah. And the time and time again, it was just more of, Neil, I want you to get into the trenches with us. I want you to help me figure out this sequence. I want you to help me figure out how I'm going to progress and get promoted. I want you in the trenches with us. Whereas trying to be a sidestep coach where I'm just like, mm. you know, seeing it from the viewer's perspective and not actually getting involved. That's where I realized I had to kind of really roll up my sleeves and help out. But kind of wrapping up this topic, um, for those that are thinking about leadership, mm -hmm. what would you say is what are the things not to get into leadership for? So if you want to be a leader, these are the reasons you should not want to get into leadership if it's not fit for you. What would you say those reasons are? Money. You know, you don't optimize for income getting into leadership. Matter of fact, you probably make more money than your manager if you're a top performing rep. Mm. So don't don't get into it for money. Yeah. Um, don't get into it because of your ego, right? When, you know, I'm the boss, I'm the manager. Uh, I made that mistake. New sheriff in town, you're going to do it my <laughs> way. You're right. I mean, it's, if, if anything, it's you, you get into it to be of service especially frontline middle management. It's, and I think a lot of us will read leadership books and you get to remember that a lot of these leadership books are written from a vantage point of like a senior level leadership, a CEO vantage point who's managing managers and directors and other executives. When you're a frontline middle manager, you got to be able to help people, mm. right? This idea of being an ivory tower manager and being able to, or, or desk jockey or spreadsheet, you know, manager, whatever, <laughs> yeah. VP of, of spreadsheets is what uh, <laughs> Scott Lee calls them. Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you're, you can't manage from afar when you have, when you're a frontline manager, right? So if you're, when I was at managing an outside sales team, I spent as much time as possible in the field on appointments with my reps. What got me to that point was being at a profusive prospector, just being bananas out there knocking on doors early in the morning, late at night, because we were running business sales for Verizon at the time. Yeah. Right. And so getting out there and finding those SMBs, mid-sized companies and getting in, in, in the door with them. And so I love the prospecting. I love the hunt. So I kept doing that as a manager. And I think that's what set me apart as a leader at Verizon and why I won awards and whatnot was because I was in the trenches with my reps. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, and I could show them how to position. I could show them how to manage their day. I could show them, and it wasn't like do it my way, but to your point, when they're, they're asking for help, they want to figure this thing out. And that's where you spend your time is with those reps, those ones that are actually trying to crack the code and they want to do the work. You invest your time and energy to them because you'll get the most out of your investment. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so don't 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 get into it for money. Don't get into it for ego. Get into it to help people. Yeah, because I think uh, going back to young Neil, he got into it because he saw a pay rise. He got into it because it was an ego thing to say, "Hey, I've earned my stripes." 
And when I went in with that mindset, again, as many people know that listen to the show, it really backfired on me. But going into it with the intentions of, like you say, being of service to others, helping others win, seeing them succeed, seeing them grow, it's much more rewarding as the years have gone on where, you know, reps that you've managed have then gone on to become oh. sales leaders themselves. Yes. <clears throat> I had a, an Alana, if you're watching in, she was like one of my first reps that uh, I coached when I became a consultant. And she's recently become like an SDL manager in the organization that I trained her in. Right. And uh, it just, it whelped my heart. I was just like, oh my God, like you're there, you made it. And like we spoke before she took that step and she was thinking about going into an AE role, but she took on the leadership role. And I said, I think you're going to be a great manager, you know, because you, you've got empathy, you've got time for people, you can understand things, you were a top performer. So that's why people I believe are going to believe in you. Um, but it's so rewarding to see them go on and do big, big things. Yeah. But coming on to one of your big things, uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more just about Three Link Consulting and how did that come about, Derek? Uh, interesting story. I think, uh, I, so I, again, early on knew what I wanted. So advice for those that are listening, the earlier you can figure things out, the better. Um, I knew I wanted to be an independent sales consultant. After my time at Verizon, being in the field, and this is what happened. There was an apex moment. Um, I was in a sort of remote territory as an outside sales rep before I got, before I got promoted and in, into management. And I had this account that needed a technology that our company, Verizon, didn't sell or provide, but it mm. was kind of required. This is the time in e mobile email, which we all take for granted right now. Again, this is <laughs> mid-2000s. So they needed to have an exchange server set up at their location in order to make the mobile email work on their Palm Trios. For those who don't know what Palm Trios are, Yo. Google them, okay? <laughs> this We're going way back. Yeah, this is before BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'm a freaking dinosaur, I guess. <laughs> so they needed these exchange servers. I had another account that was an IT services company that sold exchange servers, and then so I bridged the gap. I, I introduced them, and I got a founder's fee because they bought a mm -hmm. bunch of servers uh, this other this, this tile company bought a bunch of servers from this it company that and i because i bridged the introduction the it company had told me if i ever know if anybody needs their services you're out there selling tech and let us know if we'll, we'll pay you a, a finer's fee yeah <clears throat> it was in that moment i'm like oh shit i can make money just by introducing people and i got paid a thousand dollars i was 25 years old i got paid a thousand bucks outside of my commission and everything else just for introducing them, helping them get this deal done. Mm. And he said to myself, damn, I can make a lot of money doing this. Uh, <laughs> and I could do what I want to do, which would be an entrepreneur. I mean, I had entrepreneurial mm. ambitions. I told you the lawnmower story early in life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons it's called Three Link is because it's bringing buyers and sellers together and, you know, uh, being that third link. Right. But it's it became it turned into more right. I had three daughters, so three. You know, I was born at three thirty three. Me, my dad, Jeez. my mom are Leos. Were the sort of three lions. So three wow. kind of goes everywhere I go. And so three when you when you see three, think of me. Um, so that's kind of early. Like I knew I wanted to do something. Two thousand eighteen, I filed the EIN and said, you know, I'm going to do something with this. Two thousand eight, I'm sorry. I said I'm going to I'm going to register this business and I'm going to start my consultancy. Didn't do anything, kept working, but I had the business registered federally, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. So I had this company at 2008. First client didn't come until 2016. So it's still, it was just called Three Link Consulting. I had no like idea of what I was going to be doing. I thought it was maybe sales training, maybe some AS, uh, some like independent sales agent stuff where like I, like I introduced and sell their products. 
I had some ideas, but I didn't do anything with it. So, but I, again, I was aspirational. I was trying to be intentional about it. Uh, I was trying to manifest something out of nothing. Again, no college degree, didn't, don't have the background everybody else has, but I'm trying to build this thing. And I knew early 28 years old at the time that I wanted to, to start this business. So I registered it six years later, I stumbled onto my first account through failure because what happened is I decided to get into sales development consulting specifically because a, I was always passionate about hunting and prospecting and filling the funnel. That was always what led to my success. So I knew that I was good at that. Yeah. And then I, when I first went into sales development after Dell, I got laid off after about a year and, and it wasn't because the, 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 we didn't do well as a team. We had killed all our, our targets. We were account based. This was 2016, 2000, you know, it was 2016. Grew the team from three to 13 SDRs globally, had a team in London, had a team in India, had a team in San Jose, and wow. you know, we were thriving, but the scale, the company wasn't scaling because there was interoperable challenges with the technology. It was cloud tech. And so it doesn't matter how much pipeline you build if you can't close. So that happened, uh, got laid off. The team got, you know, re re uh, uh, retracted. Yeah. Went to another cybersecurity company a year later, did the exact same thing, exact same outcome. Oh, geez. Got laid off. Yeah. Went to another company, similar outcome. Went to another company, similar outcome. I'm like, shit. So I realized, yeah, there's a pattern here. People need <laughs> flexible, temporary sales development management, clearly. They're experimenting with sales development and they're trying to capture market share. They're trying to time the market and you know create this motion that can time outreach to prospects. And they want to get it right and grow their, their, their growth rate. And so they're kind of dabbling and they're experimenting and what would be better having someone who's never really led people maybe once or twice led an SDR team or would it be better if someone has someone who has a lot of experience doing that and standing up SDR teams, obviously who could come in temporarily, help you build this thing out and then write off. So you don't have to be obligated to that person long-term. So it's more flexible in terms of time commitment. It's more flexible in terms of cost, no big investment. You're not paying a hundred thousand over the course of a year. For someone who's not even contributing to your performance of your team, that's managing your SDRs. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, through those layoffs and those failures, I realized that uh, companies needed, you know, a flexible option. And it's it's done pretty well, I think, uh, since then. I love that. And for somebody that has been watching you grow <laughs> and scale your business and been seeing the insights of you doing workshops, working with clients, it's been amazing to see. And again, Ladies and gents, I'll put the link into to Derek's uh, Instagram. Highly recommend following it. It's been an inspirational journey to watch. So the question on my lips is now, if I'm somebody look at 3Link Consulting, why would I be looking at you and why would I use a service like 3Link today, Derek? Yeah, well, normally uh, I'm brought in when, you know, they're trying to scale or correct their growth rate, right? You, you don't have enough pipeline effectively and... You want to hit the the scale button. You want to double your pipeline, three extra pipeline. So I'm usually brought in because they want to stand up their SDR team. So they haven't done it before on their own, a founder, maybe a CMO, a CRO. Uh, they maybe they've had uh, responsibilities over an SDR team, but never really managed one, right? So there's these dynamics where they're, they don't have the bandwidth, they don't necessarily have the skill, and they're busy with a whole other host of things. And so typically I work with smaller organizations that are trying, that have taken on funding, that maybe have a product market fit, and they're trying to grow very fast, they're trying to time the market, 
and they want to turn on this SDR function to A, capture inbound demand because maybe they're slipping with leads and then bleeding out there and not following up on their passive and warm leads effectively, but also then create that outbound motion and get some air cover for, for their sales team. So uh, that's kind of usually w when I'm brought in is, uh, is for that. Now, the value to it is that you're not doing it on your own and you're not mm. doing it with someone who's um, not as experienced, right? So I have the pattern recognition. I worked on 15 SDR teams in 2022 alone. Um, so that from, from that vantage point, I've seen the comp, right? I've seen the playbooks and I can help construct them in a way that is tailored to the business's requirements, right? Um, I've stood up the, the tech stacks. I'm double certified on Salesforce. I'm certified on Sales Loft. So nice. that's a component of the service offering is that it's not just writing a playbook but I'm also standing up your tech and integrating uh, the necessary tools. I'm also operating on the front line, doing the hiring. Right now, actually, uh, I'm working with a client that's hiring for an SDR position. They're hiring for two. We got one filled. We're still trying to get that second person. But all together for this rec so far, we've had about 500 applications. I don't think a founder or a CMO has the time <laughs> to sit there and look through 500 <laughs> applications, nor do they have the pattern recognition of looking at SDR yeah. recognition, uh, I'm sorry, SDR resumes for years, the way yeah. that I have. So I whip through these and I find the gems based on the scope that we dialed in for the ideal team member and uh, create that first screening call. So I do that initial upfront work a lot of times for, for clients. So I offload a lot. There's certain skill gaps that small organizations just don't have at that point. So whether it's operations, whether it's sales enablement, whether it's sales development leadership, general mm -hmm. advisory, there's a lot of gaps that kind of fill for that early stage company. And that's kind of why they usually bring me in. I love that. And that's a new one, ITM ideal team member. Uh, I was I was having a conversation a year ago, so with a VP of sales, said we need to find an ICP of an SDR when we're hiring. Right. And I love that. I love that. And just uh, one last question on that. So is that predominantly North American clients or do you are you able to help clients around the globe? What's kind of like your 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 market, Derek? No, I've worked uh, with clients uh, globally. Um, I went to London not too long last year, actually, and did some SDR mm -hmm. training. Um, had a client that was in Ireland last year as well. Um, nice. But yeah, most often it's it's North America. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And just to touch upon this, uh, because I want to give a bit of a, a shout out to this, because it's something I've seen you launch most recently. And for somebody that was watching my IG stories and then coming back to me saying, hey, Neil, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to launch something. Could you just give us a little bit of a snippet as to what is the Sales Consultant Podcast all about, Derek? Yeah, well, the Sales Consultant Podcast is all about researching uh, challenging, tough problems facing B2B revenue teams and finding out what those solutions look like. And a, a good twist on the show is that we're also giving a sneak peek into the journey of sales consultants like myself and Neil and, and other uh, people in the industry. So those are the kind of two storylines that we weave in uh, to, to the show. Now, um, I interview a, a host of industry experts. I drop a series of interviews every week, uh, generally 40 minutes, similar length to yours. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what the sales consultants podcast is all about. It's, you know, coexist over compete. I like bringing other, you know, some of us do the same thing. I do SDR coaching. You do SDR yeah, yeah, yeah. coaching. Yeah. Should we be rivals and compete with one another and not collaborate? Like what the hell? It's so, uh, yeah, no, I like building this platform where a lot of, you know, sales enablement, uh, sales trainers, 
the, the people who are in that advisory trainer capacity uh, can come share their story, share their best practices. And if you're looking to learn from people like that, right, if you're a revenue leader and you're trying to tap into B2B growth strategies that have been proven with pattern recognition because they're coming from, you know, client consultants and a lot of times that have been from, you know, project to project to project, I think there's an, an advantage there, sort of a free consultation to that revenue leader. Mm -hmm. And then also for that revenue leader who's like aspiring to be a consultant one day, like I used to be, like I wish that I would have had a podcast that talked about sales consulting and what running that practice looks like, how to deal with clients, how to structure your pricing. So we get to unpack uh, a lot of those things as well. I love that. So I'm definitely going to be putting links into Derek's show along with the episode that I did with himself a few weeks ago. It was a phenomenal episode. You've had some great people like Donald Kelly on the show as well. And I'm just super proud to see that you took an idea. It's now coming to fruition. Thank and you. my man's dropping like multiple episodes on a Friday. And I'm like, geez. Finishing strong, man. Casual Friday does not mean <laughs> casual effort. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I love it. No, yeah. I, the other thing I, I, I would say about the podcast, though, one more thing before I forget, is that yeah. often consultants, and I asked you this on in our, in our interview, is how do you get better? Right? I ask mm -hmm. every consultant that question. How do you get better as a consultant? You're giving out a ton of advice to all these companies and people. How do you make sure it's fresh and current? Mm -hmm. How do you stay sharp? Right. I mean, I, I listen to podcasts, I read books, but what else? I mean, what is your thing? Because the thing is most consultants, at least I, in my situation, most often I'm brought in when it's broken. Hmm. Right. And they need, they need help fixing a problem. That's what yeah. consultants do. We help, we're asked brought in to diagnose a problem, come up with, a, you know, a solution that we can recommend and then maybe even help them work through those steps. Right. And yeah. when you go from broken dish to broken dish to broken dish it's you start losing sight on what good looks like and yeah. so this is my window into that whether it's just for me or for others but this is my way of doing the research to stay fresh to level up and man i've already learned a ton so i'm able to sort of synthesize all these great ideas and feedback from vps of sales cmos and other auxiliary members of the, the guests and consultants and bring it all in together into one thing so we can remember what good looks like and stay focused on what's really working in B2B sales, not just talking about all the problems and what's not working and what's broken. Let's, let's be solution oriented. So I'm trying to do their research through the show. I absolutely love it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show and you're right. You're kind of creating a curriculum for others to learn from great minds of the people that you're bringing on. And it's kind of like a blueprint for others. That's kind of like what we're doing with this show as well, where it's a blueprint of lots of minds and different ideas and opinions. Right. But people can access this and they can learn it in their own time, but they can get insights into perhaps people they may not have the opportunity to speak to on a normal basis day to day and getting to pick those minds. So you've got some great guests and I've got some high hopes for the show. I know it's going to blow. It is blowing as it is at the minute, but a hell of a lot of success to you, Derek. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You're welcome. So coming to uh, the end of what has been a great uh, and fruitful episode, the, the pertinent question that I always ask my guests at this point, Derek, is, and we can answer this in two ways. We could either ask you, what three bits of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself about to embark on this journey? Mm. Or as you're going to see this episode in the near future, what three bits of advice would you give to a future version of yourself? Which path are you going to go down today? Uh, I think I'm going to go my past self. Okay. So what are those three bits of advice you give to that younger Derek who's just about to embark on this sales career? Um, don't lose sight of your why and continue to prioritize 
that over all this other stuff. Um, you know, when you've gone through the layoffs and these different things and these failures that I've talked about, it's, you know, it's, it's an awakening to realize that you work, when you work really hard on something and then it doesn't work out. The thing is when you talk about working really hard, what that means is you made a lot of sacrifices. You didn't spend the time mm -hmm. with the people potentially that you should have. You didn't. So I think that's the thing is, uh, if I was to go back, I probably would have spent a little bit more time with my kids. I probably would have balanced better. Um, that's mm -hmm. the first piece of advice. Um, manage your, your mental health mm. uh, better. You know, I, I was young, so I partied still. You know, I tried to be a dad, <laughs> a professional, and a 20-something-year-old, you know, at the same time. Yeah. And uh, I think that made it tough for me to manage my mental health really effectively. And... Uh, so I think that's definitely uh, one that I would recommend to myself. What else? Um, I think I'm doing okay financially, but I would have, you know, like invested in some of those stocks earlier on that were around me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's definitely, I wish I would have got in on the Apple and Facebook and all that shit when it was mm. smaller. But uh, yeah, uh, no, real talk. I think, you know, we, we make a relatively good earning in sales and sales development, particularly when we perform well. And, um, you know, that's the beauty of being in sales. You get to control the fruits of your labor, unlike a lot of other roles. And so we have to be grateful for that and appreciate that. Right. And not yeah. feel like well, we have to do this prospecting, like you get to do this prospecting. That's how you get to make more money than people in accounting and engineering who are of these flat salaries. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, in that you should be mindful of how you manage that money as well. I love that. So, you know, remember your why, look after your mind and make sure that you invest in yourself for your career moving forward. Would I have that right? Yeah. Family, mind, money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. And are there any shout outs that you'd like to give out on today's show, Derek? <laughs> I keep coming back to the Snoop Dogg Hollywood <laughs> speech. Give it. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I do want to thank someone. I, I want to thank Go someone. On. This person is very special to me. I want to thank me for working so damn hard, not giving yep. up, doing whatever it took and uh, all that. But no, real talk, I want to thank my kids, my oldest daughter for hanging in there with me. She's one of my best friends. My wife, I couldn't do any of the things that I'm doing today without her. She's the backbone to it all. She's my bookkeeper, my accountant, my tax preparer, my, you know, she keeps me legal in terms of business operations. So definitely want to shout out to my wife, my daughters, um, and myself. So yes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, shout out to the hype man, Williams, yourself, uh, and shout out to, to the family that keep it all together. And again, I've been watching you guys grow through the stories and, you know, much love to, to everyone and more successes. But Derek Williams, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I want to say a massive thank you to our listeners, watchers, and subscribers. Don't forget, I'm going to be putting all the links to Derek, his show, his LinkedIn. If you want to get in contact and pick his brain, feel free to do so. Uh, and also, please make sure that you like, comment, subscribe in your local podcast platform along with our YouTube channel. But Derek Williams, I wish you a great week ahead. And most importantly, sir, happy selling. Happy selling. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to SDR 
disco call one word at bcast which is b-c-a-s-t dot email and you'll be added to our mailing list we're also on the lookout for new guests so if you work in the world of sales development as an sdr bdr mdr or adr and feel that you have an important message or story to share feel free to email us at podcast at happy and we'd love to have you on board